0: Because uh, today we're going to talk about something that I think every one of us deals with. And it's, it's this thing of doubt. How many of you have ever doubted God? Okay, go- let's try that again. Let's just do this. Everybody raise your hand. Yeah, everybody raise your hand. How many of you have ever doubted God? Yeah, okay, we have. We all have. Uh, and so today we're going to take a look at why does that happen? And maybe how can we get around that? In Matthew chapter 11... Verses two through three, it says this. When John, and we know John to be who? John the Baptist. Baptist. Yeah, when John the Baptist, you know, how many of you are Baptists? know, yeah. okay. Some, uh, nobody wants to admit that for some strange reason. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, uh, let's not go down that rabbit hole because we have a lot of stuff to do here today. When John, who was in prison, where was he? In prison. Okay, when he was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, what do we have here? Let's describe John the Baptist. Who baptized Jesus? John, John the Baptist. And what happened when Jesus was baptized? A spirit of God descended like a dove and indwelt him, Right. Okay, that's what happened. Now, if you're John the Baptist and you see that happen, what do you think? This has got to be the Messiah, right? So, no-brainer. Now, here he is, and he's asking the question. Now, um, he, he hears about what Jesus is doing, right? He says he's heard about his deeds, and it caused him to question who Jesus was. Are you the really the one? Are you really the Messiah? Because he'd heard about what Jesus was doing. Now, what was Jesus doing? He was going around healing people. He was going around (laughs) preaching a message of love. He was doing all of that stuff. Now, why would John question that? Let me give you the reason. It's called unfulfilled expectations. Unmet expectations. What did the people of the time think Jesus was going to do when he came? Or what did they think the Messiah was going to do? He was going to come and kick some Roman booty, right? He was going to come and take care of business. He was going to come and set things straight. He was going to elevate the Jewish people. He was going to set them free from their Roman captivity. That's what they thought would happen, but what does Jesus do? He comes preaching a message of love and doing some miraculous stuff, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, raising some people from the dead, and they thought, is this really the guy? We have some unmet expectations about what it's supposed to be. Now, John expected Jesus to come in and, and reduce the Romans to rubble. He expected Jesus to come in, but he didn't do that. Ever have a friend who told you about a movie or a restaurant? And I mean, they really hyped it. You know, oh, you got to see this movie. you got to go to this restaurant. How many of you have, upon my suggestion, gone to Ellis Tech a restaurant <laughs> and thought less of it than I do? <laughs> That's what I call an unmet expectation. I really hype that I love that place. And uh, I ate there twice last week uh, in succeeding days. I was there for dinner on Tuesday and Wednesday lunch. I mean, I love that place. I love the people. I love the food. And I'm hyping it, aren't I? Now, when you go, you're going to go, oh, man, it wasn't really all that. And you're going to be a little disappointed. Have you ever had somebody recommend a movie to you? And then they just go oh man. I remember when I was when I was younger there was this movie called Better Off Dead. Anybody see the movie Better Off Dead? Ha ha ha, yeah. It's the best movie in the world, isn't it? No <laughs> oh, oh man. Better Off Dead is so funny. It is just it's a hoot. You gotta if you haven't seen it, you gotta you gotta get it on Netflix or something. Uh you gotta see it. Now when you see it, you're gonna go, Oh, that's just kinda weird you know, because it's been hyped so much. Now, unmet expectations will always cause us to be a little what? Disappointed, a little bit disappointed. And so here we find John being a little bit disappointed in the fact that he thought Jesus was going to do something different than what he did. And so therefore he gets let down. Now that really makes a big difference uh, when it happens to your job. Okay. How many of you have ever had a job that you thought was going to perform better than it did? Yeah, yeah. you were going to get paid more than you thought. Than you, you, than you got paid. You, you had to work a lot longer than you thought you had to work. And so the things were different. And you thought you were going to be really fulfilled. Maybe you didn't get fulfilled in the job. And so you got disappointed in the job. How about your finances? You become a Christian, and God says, "What? He will supply all your needs." And I want you to know that back in 1982. No, no, no. I take that. It's way back before that. I want to say in 1921. They did a survey of the American people and they asked them, what do you absolutely need in order to live? What do you need? And they made a list. I think it was seven things that they needed. You know, shelter, food, clothing, those kinds of things. They did the same survey in 1985. You know how many things were on the list? 127 things. You know, 127 things and it varied from, you know, I need a car, I need a good job, I need a this and I need a that. I need security, I need blah, blah, blah. And so we have a big list of things that we need. Now, God has said through Jesus uh, that he would supply what? All of our needs. Now, that kind of leaves it up to us to decide what our needs are, huh? Not really. God has never said that he's going to supply all your wants. He said all your needs. And so when we scale it back to what we really need... We really need very few things. And so that's what God has promised. So if we expect him to do something that he has not promised to do, we can find ourselves in a world of hurt. So we have finances. How many of you have ever been in a relationship that was less than fulfilling? A human relationship. Yeah, don't punch them. Don't, don't needle them right now. But you know, we, we often we often have that kind of situation, don't we? Where we think, oh, this is going to be... The love of my life. I, I can't tell you how many people I have pre done premarital counseling with. And typically the lady will say something like, My wedding day is going to be the happiest day of my life. And I always say this, whenever I hear that, I always say this. I say, Man, after your wedding day, everything's downhill, huh? Because that's the happiest day of your life. Don't say yeah, it is. <laughs> exactly but exactly and so we think that this is going to happen and oh man and then you know and we think that when we have kids things are going to be even better and then when we get our career going it's going to be even better and then finally we realize I wish our kids would leave home and it will be better and I wish I could retire from this job and it'll be better and so we have all this kind of varying ideas of what will be better and what will be uh, fulfilling to us now let me ask you this question. How do you handle unmet expectations? I'm going to tell you how most people handle that, and that is that they blame God. They blame God. Where's God? Why didn't God do this? Why didn't God do that? Remember back at, at, at when we had the, the terrorist attacks on 9-11? You know, how many people did you experience that said, where was God? Where was God? You know, did you have a good response to that? He's right where he always was. And I would suggest that even now, we would, we would take a look and say, maybe God was behind all of that. That might be shocking to you. But think about the things that were attacked. Okay? The World Trade Centers, which represented the economic power of our nation. Okay? And that was attacked. And what would God say through that? Be careful what you trust. Because if you trust your wealth more than you trust me, things can go really haywire for you. They attacked the Pentagon. Okay. And what is the Pentagon? It is the central point of all of our military power. And so what did he say through that? Be careful what you trust. Because if you trust your military more than you trust me, guess what? I'm stronger than your military. And then there was some question about uh, the third plane that could have been going to the capital, Washington, D.C. And what would God say through that? Be careful what you trust, because if you trust your government more than you trust me, things can go really haywire. So I believe that God was behind all of that. He was sending a message to the United States of America, to each and every one of us, to be careful about what we trust, because if we trust anything more than we trust God, we could find ourselves in great peril. So here, I want you to fill in the first spot on your outline. God does not always live up to your expectations. God does not always live up to your expectations. Did you know that? That might sound kind of harsh to you, but let me give you the flip side here. And the next one is God always lives up to what? His word. God will always live up to what he says he is going to do. God always keeps his promises. So therefore, he's going to keep his word. He's going to tell you exactly what he's going to do. And it's up to us to hear and to abide by that. Now, many of us have already admitted. In fact, all of us probably have admitted that we have doubted God at some time or not or another. Now, what do we do when we doubt God? What do we do? Okay, now let's take a look because sometimes we think when we doubt God, we are lesser Christians. You know, we are lesser faithful. We are lesser trusting. We are lesser people uh, when we doubt God. But I want to give you uh, some people here that have really had some books of the Bible named after them. And let's take a look uh, at Job. Now, how many of you have ever memorized a verse out of Job? Okay, (laughs) most of us try to avoid Job at all costs, right? But there is one verse that might be worth memorizing. It's found in Job 13, 15. It says, uh, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. You know, when we're really down and out and we say, oh, yet he slay me, even though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And we say, okay, yeah, even though it's bad, it could be better. And we might memorize that. But I dare say that most of you have never memorized Job 14, 19. And it says this. As water wears away stones and torrents wash away the soil, so you, Lord, destroy a person's hope. Oh, man, you think Job was doubting God's goodness? Yes, he was. I mean, God had had allowed Satan to take his family, take his wealth, take his possessions. And I mean, he was down and out, and he was surrounded by some friends who weren't that good a friend. In fact, they sat for seven days and never said a word to him. Finally, they say, well, Job, if you just fess up, God would forgive you and you could move on. And he says, no, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it. And so he struggles with God during this whole time, not knowing what's going on behind the scenes where God is proving his power over Satan. And he's using Job's life. So if you ever have a choice and if God ever says, have you considered my servant Mike? I'm going to go, no, don't say that, you know because that's what he said to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? And if Job had been there in the room, he might have said, no, not me. Honest. Trust me. I don't want that to happen. But God proved his faithfulness to Job, and he showed his power over over Satan. Now, Job, even though he doubted God, he gets what? He gets a whole book of the Bible named after him. There's another guy named Jeremiah. He doubted God as well. And notice what he says. Now, Jeremiah is one of the powerhouse prophets of the Old Testament. He's one of the big guys. We divide him up into major prophets and minor prophets, if you're doing study. He's one of the major prophets. He's a major league prophet. He's a powerhouse prophet. And here's what he says in Jeremiah fifteen eighteen: Why is my pain perpetual? <laughs> okay, God. God, you're not giving me any break here. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable... And and I love this because it's King James, and you probably should speak it with a little bit of an Elizabethan accent. So, which refuseth to be healed. Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar, and as waters that fail? Yeah, that's a pretty bold statement to say to God, right? Are you going to be a liar to me? Now, I don't know if you've ever called God a liar. I do not recommend it. However, Jeremiah virtually says that. He says, are you to be to me a liar? You know, and as, and as a water source that doesn't really provide any, any, any good, that doesn't quench anybody's thirst, are you going to be that kind of a God that's distant and removed? And there are people in this world that believe that God is kind of a distant God. He's not really involved in daily events. He's not da- involved in people's daily lives. And so Jeremiah kind of projects that. Now, did he doubt God? Yeah, Jeremiah was doubting God's goodness. Well, let's take a look at another guy, and we're going to take a look at him in a little bit of detail, Elijah. Elijah is one of my favorite guys in the whole Bible, because he can go from super highs to super lows in a matter of moments. Now, Elijah, there's probably none greater when when you talk about a guy with the power of prayer. Now, he prayed one time, and he prayed that there would be no rain for three years. Pretty powerful. Think God answered that prayer? He did. He did. He answered that prayer. There was no rain for three years. At the end of that three years, the people of Israel had wandered far from God, and they were worshiping different gods, and they became idol worshipers. And, and so things were really a mess. So Elijah really wants the people of Israel to experience the power of God. He wants them to see the power of God. So he calls all these prophets of Baal and all these prophets of Asherah, and he calls and there's 850 of them against one lonely guy called elijah and he says you guys get together and let's have this thing have you ever seen the pillsbury cook-off you know the bake-off well they're going to have a god off right here and they're going to get all of the prophets of baal and asherah together and he's going to say okay you guys get a bull and make a sacrifice to your god and here's what the test is going to you know i'll get a bull and make an altar and sacrifice one to my god and here's the test the test is going to be that you prepare it, and then you pray. You cannot light any fire. You have to ask God, your God, to bring fire down from heaven and ignite the offering. We'll see whose God is who. And he says, okay, you guys go first. Yeah, there's way more of you than there is of me, so you guys go first. So they get together, and they do all of this stuff, and they get the, the bowl prepared and the altar prepared, and they plop it on there, and then they start praying and they pray, and they pray, and they keep on praying. And pretty soon, Elijah, he gets a little bit cocky. I like this about him. Uh, and he starts taunting them, you know. Have you ever had somebody do that? You know, you know, that, you know uh, they're back there, and they're just kind of needling somebody, and you, you kind of enjoy it. That's, a, that's the way Elijah is. Elijah's kind of needling them, and all of, you know, all of us are kind of enjoying it because we know that he's about to prove something very crucial. And so he says, hey, maybe your God is asleep, so maybe you should pray louder. And they pray louder. He says, oh, maybe he's off on vacation. And they go, oh, no, he can't be on vacation. And even in some translation, it was like, maybe he's going to the restroom, and he's in a <laughs> private place. And I just, man, if I had been there, I would have just roared. You know, <laughs> I couldn't have contained it. And so they do that. And then... Nothing happens. And so they're waiting for this, this igniting of this fire, you know, and this bull, and everybody's watching and going, oh, yeah, we got to choose today who the real God is. And they, they keep watching and watching, and pretty soon they start cutting themselves, you know. And they're bleeding, and they're going, I, and I don't know how that God draws you closer to God. Don't ever do that. But they believe that they're, they're showing their trust and their reliance on their God, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. Finally, Elijah says, hey, you know, my turn. You know, you guys, you've done your best. Obviously, your God is not around, and uh, maybe he'll show up tomorrow. He doesn't really say that, but that's my interpretation. So he gets ready, and he says, you know what? We're going to make this really hard for Yahweh. We're going to make it really hard for God to show up. We're going to make it so that nobody could ever question whether it was God or not. So he gets his bowl ready, puts it on the altar, and he digs a trench around it, and he gets, douses it with water. Now, remember, it hasn't rained for how long? Three years and he's pouring out some precious water here. So he fills the trench, covers the entire animal with, with water, and he gets back and he prays. Bolt of lightning and fire comes out of the sky, boom, and, sh- and it completely consumes not only the, the bull but the altar and all of the water around it is evaporated because of this bolt of, of fire that comes down from the sky. And he sits back and he kind of, you know, if it had been me, I'd have just gone. How do you like me now? <laughs> you know, and here's Elijah out there, and and he has this tremendous experience with God, and so he says, "Okay," and the king is there, King Ahab is there, and he goes over to the king and he says, "Oh, hey, king, you might want to hustle on back to the to the to your to your house because it's going to rain." And sure enough, there's a cloud that's coming. And the king gets in his chariot, and man he's beaten feet for his house, and Elijah now Elijah does he have a chariot? He doesn't even have a horse. he outruns him back to the back to the city, and he gets to the city, and rain starts coming and Now I just go, "Wow, what an experience that would be! what a faith building experience that would be, and you would come away from that thinking. My God can do anything. I don't have to worry about anything. But you know what happens in the next day or two? He gets a letter from the queen. And she's not real happy with Elijah. In fact, I've interpreted the, the thing here, and, and he gets a letter. Okay? He says, she says this Dear Elijah, comma. Don't like what you did to my prophets, exclamation point. You killed them, sad face emoji. Not happy about it. Mad face emoji. Going to kill you back. Going to kill you till you're dead. Sincerely, the queen. Hashtag, you better run, sucker. <laughs> yeah, that's not exactly what she wrote, of course. But, you know, maybe if we had been Elijah, or maybe if we'd been the queen, we might have written something like that. Now, what does Elijah do? Man, he's just had this great victory. He, man, if we had been there, we'd have said, bring it on. Just bring it on. My God is greater than you are. He's already proven himself to be faithful. He's already proven himself to be stronger than your God. And so bring it on. Now, what does he do? Let's take a look at 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 3 and 4. Elijah was what? Afraid and fled for his life. Now, That's a a stark contrast from what he's just experienced, right? He went up against 850 prophets of some foreign god, and he was victorious. And he has one lady write him a letter, and what does he do? He runs away. Now, what's different there? What's the different factor? She was a lady. How many of you have ever been afraid of your mom? How many of you were not afraid of your dad? Okay, okay. Now I'm gonna say I was more afraid of my mom than I was my dad. Why? Man, she knew everything. She knew everything. She was always home. She was always watching over me. She was always praying that God would wrap me out. You know, and he told her some stuff that how'd you know that? And and she was God used her in my life in a tremendous way. But I was more afraid of her than I was my dad. You know, could my dad swing the switch harder? Oh, yeah, he could. But, man, she, swan, she swung it sooner. There was no delay. You know, she, It was, it was kind of like you would sit there and, and your mom would say, you know, you know, what do you want for lunch? Oh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Okay, the next day, she says, uh, are you going to go out and mow the lawn? Whatever. Same word, right? But, man, the first day it was okay. The second day, not so much. In fact, she would come down on you and you would think, man, I'm going to die today whatever. And I was scared to death. Now here's Elijah and he's afraid of the queen. He's not afraid of the king at all. He's afraid of the queen. And so he come, He comes and he was afraid. He fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Verse number four tells us a lot about Elijah. Then he went on alone into the wilderness. Circle that word alone. It's already underlined for you. Because when we find ourselves alone, we are most vulnerable. We are most vulnerable. And here's here's Elijah. He's out there alone. He's out in the wilderness. And what does he start thinking? Let's find out what he starts thinking. Uh, He went into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Have you ever been in a position where you wanted just to die? You know, I hope not. But there are people in our world today that get so depressed that they want to die. Now, we can explain some things today about Elijah that he probably did not know himself. Did you know that when you have emotional highs, and I mean you just have some tremendous emotional highs, you're setting yourself up for some tremendous emotional lows because you run out of emotional energy. I've seen it happen uh, to young married couples. They get married... Uh, she has the happiest day of her life. They go on their honeymoon, and it is really tremendous, and it's wonderful. And they come home, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, they just run out of emotional gas, and they end up a little bit depressed, and it doesn't last long, hopefully. But that's what's happening with Elijah here. He has this tremendous experience with God. I mean, God proves himself faithful, and I mean, If we could have been there, uh, we'd have just, man, we'd have been dancing. We'd have been shouting. We'd have been raising our hands. We'd have said, way to go, God. And we'd have had that same emotional high. But now he gets threatened by a lady, and now he's off by himself, and he prays that he might die. He says this, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Now what's he doing? He's comparing himself to other people. Have you ever compared yourself to other people and come up short? Yeah. And that will always happen when we compare ourselves to others, unless we particularly pick people that are less off than we are. And we say, I'm better than they are. And we can make it go either way. But most often when we get depressed, we will compare ourselves to people who are better than we are. And their life always looks better because how do we see their life? We see their life on Instagram. Have you ever noticed that? You know, How do people look on Instagram? man, nothing could be better. Look at the car they just bought. Look at the house they have. Look at what they ate yesterday for lunch. Man, I had a peanut butter and jelly and look what they're having. And we're looking at their life and it's not real. And we compare ourselves to things that are not real. And so he does. He compares himself. Uh, He says, and I'm no better than my ancestor who already died. He is now doubting God's goodness. Why? Because he has some unmet expectations. So now if you've ever suffered from doubting God because of unmet expectations, you're in pretty good company because all of these three people that we've talked about here today are major players in the history of the Old Testament. So now let's get back to John the Baptist because he's struggling with this same thing, right? Unmet expectation. I thought the Messiah was going to do this, but no, he comes preaching and healing and doing all that stuff. And it's just not quite the same thing. So in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, let's go back there and catch up with John the Baptist. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, remember, he baptized Jesus, right? And he saw the the Spirit of God descend upon him and inhabit him, and all of a sudden, he's doubting. What changed for John the Baptist from the time of Jesus' baptism to the time that he's having right now? Prison. Who said that? Way to go, Mike. Way to go. Prison. He's in prison, right? So he is, does he have some unmet expectations? Boy, I thought Jesus was going to liberate me. I thought Jesus was going to make me free. I thought Jesus was going to do all this stuff. And now I find myself in prison. In fact, where is he going to die? In prison. He's going to die in prison. So therefore, fill this in, the, third, the fourth thing there. Prison mentality makes you doubt your destiny. I got a little extra word in there because I was going to do something different. But prison mentality makes you doubt your destiny. Now, what was John the Baptist's destiny? He was to pave the way for Jesus, the Messiah. He's supposed to let people know. He's preparing them so that they can meet the Messiah. Now he's doubting, is Jesus the Messiah? He's doubting his own destiny, the things that God has called him to do. Now, what, what prison is he in? He's in the prison of unmet expectations. And when we have expectations that go unmet, we become imprisoned by them. We become imprisoned in this idea that my marriage was going to be this great thing. And it just hasn't quite panned out to be that. Now, marriage can be a great thing. Don't get me wrong. Okay. For me, it's the best thing. Well, second best. You know, Jesus is the best. But, and since Cindy's not in here, I can say that. But the, that the truth is, don't tell her. Whenever I say that, you know, she comes back and says, "Hey, somebody told me." So I know that we have leaks here. I know we have leaks in the congregation. Now, now, he if you have a marriage that isn't quite turned out like you thought it would. You have this unmet expectation and you kind of think, "Well, God, you know, I thought this was a person you had for me, and now you know, I don't know." And I'm sure that it was, but now, you know, we have trouble. Hey, your job, your finances. Most importantly, our spirituality. What happens when we have some unmet expectations spiritually? We believe that God is going to heal somebody. And we pray like mad that he's going to heal somebody and they die. What do we do with that? You know, has God promised that he'll heal everybody? You know, If God has promised that he would heal everybody, nobody would ever die. Remember Adam and Eve when they're in the Garden of Eden? And they, they choked, they sinned. Uh, they ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from. And they go through the whole rigmarole, and they, you know, they're ashamed of their nakedness, and they cover up with some fig leaves, and they do all this stuff. And finally, God comes and he busts them, right? And when he, when he confronts them, he expels them from the garden. Okay? He kicks them out of the house. And we think that that's kind of a punishment, but if we read it carefully, we will find that he put them out of the garden lest they come back and eat from the tree of life, and thusly live forever in their sinfulness. God said, I don't want that. I don't want them to be separated from me forever. So let's get them out of the garden before they do that. And it was truly a protection for their spirituality, for their long-term life with God. And sometimes we see very short-term when it comes to our spirituality. And we see, oh, this is a little painful. You know, oh, God wants, I I don't know, I have to choose between one thing or the other, and it's painful because I want to do this, but God wants me to do that. And and we get kind of messed up. But the truth of the matter is, is that God's protecting us for the long term. He's not fulfilling our short-term expectations, and those sometimes go unmet, for the benefit of the long-term relationship that God wants to have with us. Now, write this down. Faith is more important than your failure. Let's take a look. Faith is more important than your failure. When we doubt God and we have that failure, guess what? My faith is even more important than that. My faith is more important than my past failures. How many of you have past failures? Okay, We all have past failures. We all choked. And we've all messed up. But our faith currently is more important than our past failures. Let's take a look at another major league player in the New Testament. His name is Simon Peter. And um, this guy, Simon Peter, is awesome. He was willing to die with Jesus. He says, oh, no, that's not going to happen to you. You're not gonna, nobody's taking your life no, not while I'm on duty. And, uh, and he says, I'll be faithful to you. I will, there was no, I'll never leave you. I'm going to be right on your six. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to protect you. And don't worry. And what does Jesus say to him? Oh, Simon. You're going to choke. Not only are you going to choke, you're going to choke three times. You're going to choke big. You're going to choke hard. And it's going to be bad. And so let's take a look at what it says. Because uh, when Jesus taught, uh, we find that, that Peter was often proud and arrogant. And so the Lord said in Luke chapter 22, 31 through 32, uh, King James version, New King James Version, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Now, what has Simon just said? He says, I will be faithful. I will be faithful to you, God. Uh, To you, Jesus. He says, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, what he's saying here is, it's kind of a euphemism here, uh, an agricultural euphemism, to say, Satan is going to come and see what you're made of. He's going to see how true you are to your word. And he's going to take you and he's going to sift you out and he's going to see what really falls out and what you're really made of. And so... He says, Satan has demanded to sift you his wheat, but here's the good news. I have prayed for you. Oh, you know, when you hear those words, Jesus says, I have prayed for you. What do you immediately think? Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine, but check it out. That your faith should not fail. That your faith should not fail. I prayed for you that your faith should not, not, not fail. Okay, does his faith fail? Not really. He chokes and he fails at, at what he has said he would do, but his faith in Jesus does not fail. And he says, and when you have returned to me, man, I love those words. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren, strengthen your brothers and sisters, tell them your story and your story is going to be inclusive of my forgiveness of you, my welcoming you back, my, my ushering you into my presence. Now, remember when Jesus, and and let's just jet ahead in the story here with Simon Peter, just for for a brief moment. He's, He's on the beach, actually, he's out fishing, and Jesus meets him on the beach after his resurrection, and he asks Peter three times. He says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Well, yeah, yeah. Feed my sheep. Well, do you love me? He goes, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Okay, feed my lambs gives him three opportunities to confess for the three chokes that he made when he denied Jesus. He welcomed him back. He brought him back into the fold, and he says, when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Tell the story. How do we strengthen each other? We tell our story. We tell our story of the faithfulness of God, and that will strengthen each other because my faith helps your faith. Your faith Helps my faith. We learn together. We walk together. And so Jesus has this powerful moment. But there's no more powerful moment, I don't think, than the man who brings his son to Jesus to be healed. Okay? Now, does this man deal with doubt? Yeah, he does. Okay? He's already brought his son to the disciples. Okay? He brought his son to church. And guess what happened at church? Nothing. Nothing. He didn't get healed. He brought him to the disciples. They said, oh, no, we'll pray. Nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. Have you ever been to church and been disappointed? Not here. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I don't mean here. And I don't mean today. uh, But we've all been to church, and we felt disappointed that, man, you know, maybe the spirit of God wasn't there. Maybe God wasn't showing up or whatever it was. uh, But we got a little disappointed. That's where this man is. He's come to the, to the guys that he thought would be able to heal his son, you know, to the, to the disciples, and they couldn't do it. So he brings them to Jesus. He brings his son to Jesus. And, and so he's coming with a real sense of some unmet expectations. He expected the disciples to do it, but they couldn't. And so now he comes to Jesus with some sense of this unmet expectation. And he says, Jesus, can you heal my son? Here's what Jesus says. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe, now you notice he uses a, a first-class conditional statement here, if you want to go back to the Greek. If you can believe, okay, it's a conditional statement. If you can, then I will. If you can, then I will. If you can believe, all things are possible for those who believe. And immediately the father, gave me, and he, he, he cried out. And he, had, he, he said this with tears, tears in his eyes, with ultimate sincerity. And he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When we come to Jesus, so many times we have this mixture of belief and unbelief. Belief and unbelief. Belief and unbelief. Now, how many of you believe that Jesus can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, with whoever he wants, however he wants? Okay? We believe that, right? How many of you believe that he's going to do that for you today? Mmm. Okay? Maybe not as that we don't hold that belief quite so strongly, do we? So that's where the, that's where the dad was. I believe you can. And help my unbelief that you will. And that's where our faith needs to take its next leap. We know he can, we're not sure that he will. We know he can, we're not sure that he will. We know that he can provide for us, we're not sure that he will. We know that he can heal our marriage, we're not sure that he will. We know that he can provide financially, we're not sure that he will. We know that he can heal, but we're not sure that he will. We know that he can, but we're not sure that he will. So we have this same prayer. And when we struggle with it to the depth that this man did, he had tears in his eyes. Yes, I want to believe so badly. I want to believe so badly that you will. Lord, help my unbelief. Help me to believe that you will. You know what happened to the son? Jesus healed him. Did the man have some doubt? Yeah, he had some doubt. So, You know, some of the things that we think that maybe Jesus would say, you know, if if we did that, he'd say, hey, you don't have enough faith. Go to the back of the line, you know, go to the back of the line, Uh, build up some faith. By the time you get up here, maybe you'll have more trust. Maybe you'll have more this, maybe you'll have more that. And we always think that it's about us and our level of faith and trust. Well, this man proves to us that it was not that way. We often think that he says, hey, get some more faith. And sometimes we say, you know, think he might say, well, just don't embarrass, don't embarrass me again. You know, don't embarrass me by coming and asking and you know for that stuff and you don't have enough faith you know just don't but what does jesus do for the man heals his son he heals his son because he knew the sincerity of the belief that he had it was sincere but it wasn't quite right lord help my unbelief lord help that and maybe that's where we need to pray when it comes to asking jesus to do stuff for us lord i believe that you can help me to believe that you will help me to believe that you will. And let's see what jesus does last fill in when you doubt god still shows up when you doubt (laughs) let me read that again even when you doubt god still shows up we see that happen after jesus death burial and resurrection where do we find the disciples they're locked in a room scared to death you know maybe they fear that the same thing's going to happen to them you know hey you're one of them let's let's put you on a cross too They've heard that Jesus is alive, but they have not yet seen him. And so they've locked the doors. They're shaking in their boots. They're so afraid. Well, shaking in their sandals uh, because they're so afraid. And so now we find them huddled and just scared. And the doors are locked. And notice what it says in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 28. Now, who do we know to be the greatest doubter in the Bible? Thomas. Why do we call him? It's almost as if his first name is Doubting. Hey, Doubting, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Yeah, Doubting, yeah, that's Doubting. Oh, yeah, his name is really Thomas, but, you know, he's Doubting Thomas. And so now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, I don't care what you've seen. He doesn't say that, really. Uh, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my fingers into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, you know what? If you were Jesus, what would you say to Thomas? Good, then you just have your way, and you don't believe. That's no skin off my back. It's going to be more detrimental to you than it is to me, so go for it. Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Notice what Jesus does. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. And he said to Thomas, (laughs) Now do you think somebody ratted him out or do you think Jesus just knew? I happen to think Jesus just knew. Reach your fingers here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Uh, Do you think that he put his hands in the nail prints? Do you think he put his hands in the side? I don't know if he did or not. But he came to the right conclusion. Because he came to the conclusion of, You are my Lord and my God. I believe you. Now, how about you today? Have you gone through some stuff where you've had some doubts, where you've had some fears, maybe locked yourself inside and just been afraid to go out and say, Gosh, I can't do anything. I'm I'm just going to, I've been paralyzed into. Uh, futility. I've been paralyzed into uselessness. I've been paralyzed into, um, into this room and I just can't do anything. And I don't feel like I'm going to go anywhere. And you have some unmet expectations. I thought Jesus would do better than this for me. I thought Jesus would do more than this for me. Maybe you have a habitual sin and you say, I thought that Jesus would deliver me from this. I thought he would rescue me from all of this. And, and he hasn't. I have some unmet expectations. Maybe you're feeling like a failure. And you say, gosh, I haven't achieved the potential that God's created in me. And and I have this expectation that I should have been this, but I'm just this. And boy, I think that maybe my expectations were unmet. Maybe I'm just kind of unhappy with God about all of that. Maybe you've been hurt somewhere and you thought that God would protect you from all hurt. And you had this expectation, boy, if I walk with God, everything will be rosy. Nobody will hurt me. Nobody will say bad things about me. I I want you to be guaranteed that if you walk with God, people are going to hurt you. People are going to hurt you. People are not going to like it. Okay, If you walk with God closely and people know about it, they are not going to like it. It's going to put them on edge because what does light do in the darkness? It exposes it. And when you come and bring light into a dark place, what do the cockroaches do? They run. They run. And so, I'm not saying people are cockroaches, don't get me wrong. Uh, But but people don't like, sometimes people who are liking the dark Don't appreciate the light. Now, what does Jesus want to say to you if you've had some of those experiences? He says, I'm going to show up just for you. We see it time and time again with the Old Testament prophets, with John the Baptist. We see it with Peter. I'm going to show up for you. Even though you be faithless, I will be faithful. I will stay true to my word no matter how you act, no matter what you do, and I will always be ready For your return when you return strengthen your brothers and sisters when you return and I think that there are people here today that need to return need to return to the God that they once knew the God that they once loved the God that they walked closely with and today's your day and he's drawing you right now and he's revealing to you that he loves you he wants you to know that he loves you You know you know how much Jesus loves you he died Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus died for you. There's no greater love than that. And he wants you to know today. He loves you and he wants you to return or he wants you to be part of him. And so today I'm gonna ask you to bow with me because it's your turn to say, my Lord and my God.